Um, so I'd like to begin today uh, just by apologizing to you. Uh, for those of you who saw our statement regarding George Floyd, if you read it carefully, uh, it's written with a white audience in mind. And I didn't realize it until even this week. Uh, and so I apologize, I apologize to you for that because first, racism is not just a white person issue. Uh, while we do have white members, we are not only white members. And in so characterizing <clears throat> the issue into, terms, into the terms that I used, I showed partiality. Uh, and that was not right, and I, and I apologize for that. And I think that God has led us to this text this morning uh, to force me to clarify and to force us as a body to wrestle with this question, how do we respond? How do we respond to current events in the world, racism, murder, rioting, looting, chaz or chop now, uh, the political and mainstream media narratives? What we are witnessing today is the uproar of utter lostness. The murder of God's image bearers and the raging and deliberate destruction of lives and businesses are both symptoms of a sinful and Christless kingdom. And while we are not of the world, we are ambassadors for the king in this world. So what do we do? You're going to hear a lot of answers. You probably have already heard a thousand answers. There are voices coming at us from every single possible direction. There are people you hear on social media or the news. There are those uh, preaching in the streets behind the protesters. There are uh, people from nearly every ethnicity offering up their take and their opinion on what to do. There are friends and family with different opinions. And there are even differing answers within our Acts 29 network and within the overall kingdom as a whole. Some of the things that you hear and read are good, and some of them are shockingly bad. Some of them are completely antithetical to the gospel. I've seen men and women I love and care for and trust all across this same spectrum. And so we must ask, who's sufficient for this? Who can we trust? Who is sufficient for these things? The Lord is. The Word of God is. Christ is king. He upholds the universe. He can be trusted above all others. We are gospel-centered. We can't abandon that to go on our own way or the way of political or social activism in place of it. Just because of our culture is changing doesn't mean that we change. Why? Because what is missing that people are rightly or wrongly calling for, even if they don't know it or realize it, is the love of neighbor as Christ has loved us. And since this is true, we have to prioritize the preaching of the good news of Christ's love for sinners. Why do I say this? Because racism cannot be legislated. We would never be able to determine properly a person's heart disposition toward another person well enough to legislate the issue. Laws do not provide, do not provide heart change because they cannot provide heart change. Otherwise, the law that states that murder is illegal would have fixed the issue. At the heart of the issue, it is a heart issue. And so we need far more than any political or social campaign. Although it's what the world is clamoring for, and it's a quick and easy fix, we don't need quick and easy. We need heart surgery and for years and years of physical therapy to adjust to this heart. And it only comes from one place. We need the gospel. 
There's only one true help for such heart issues, and it is the good news of heart redemption in Christ. And so it's not that we just preach the gospel. There's no such thing as just preaching the gospel. It is the power of God. It's by this good news that we preach and proclaim and believe that we actually and truly change and grow in our love for one another because in it, our hearts are softened and changed. And so how do we respond to the sin of racism? In the same way that we respond to any, any sin issue, any political event, any current event or life circumstance. By beholding the good news of the gospel and walking in the freedom and identity and the love that it provides to live as God's people here on earth. This should be noted because the ways that Christians are called to respond to the world today is troubling. They state that we have to come to a special knowledge of history or of racism in America or of fill in any blank. They state that whiteness is a sin, that privilege is a sin, that we are to bow before statues and people to make up for sin. All of this in the name of what can you do for racial reconciliation. But this doesn't lend toward a gospel-driven approach to sin, but a gospel plus fill in the blank. A gospel plus if you do this specific act, if you don't do this specific act, then what are you doing? And therein lies the gospel distortion. It is a good thing to read about the history of racism in America. It might be extremely eye-opening for you, but it is not necessary for reconciliation between me and my brother. It's not that we, of course, need Jesus, but then we also need a little bit. No, no. Because all of this puts weight for atoning for sin on a human sinner who cannot bear that weight. Christ is already the one who has bridged the gap between men and women from every ethnicity by his atoning work on the cross alone. And it's by no coincidence at all that John was writing this letter to these churches because people are trying to lead them astray, lead them away from the gospel by saying, no, 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 you can achieve real salvation if you have this special knowledge. It was not by faith. It was by coming to an understanding first, an understanding that they determined, not God. But my brothers and sisters, what if we cannot come to this special knowledge? What if we fail? We will be condemned before we can open our eyes that morning. There has to be something bigger. There has to be something greater, something more solid than what the world is offering. And there is. The gospel is the good news about the one who bridged the gap on our behalf and now there is no bridge to gap except for the one that we allow. The gospel is the good news that any barrier between us was broken once and for all by Christ, not by my efforts to know anything or atone for anything. Because Christ has loved me, I can love you. And because Christ has loved you, you can love me, no matter which ethnicity any of us are. We are one in Christ Jesus, and so we love one another. This is the freedom that the gospel offers, and this is the exhortation that God has for us today. God has, through John, written in this letter, in this passage, for us to love one another. And in our text, by scripture, from God himself, not by a textbook or anything from man, we are shown how we can actually do this. There are thousands of voices clamoring for our attention. Uh, will you please hear God's uh, with all of this in mind, we will read in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the simple fact that we have a word from you to read, that we are not left in this storm alone, but that we have an anchor. That amidst every wind and wave of doctrine coming at us, because everything we hear is a doctrine, we have you to stand on. We can come back to your truth and know without a doubt that it is true. And Father, we, uh, we come to you now and we say that we are sinful. We come woefully short of perfection. There's no reason that you should listen to us at all. And so we pray in the name of Jesus. And we pray, God, that you would open our minds, open our hearts to what you have for us in your word. Would you change us by degree, by your word? Would you, in a sense, unleash the Holy Spirit on us now so that we might remember, so that we might see, that we might behold Jesus? And in this, Father, if there is anything that I say uh, that is against your word, that is uh, contrary to your gospel, I pray that you would help us to all forget it. If possible, keep it from my lips. And if there is anything, God, that, uh, that any of us think in this time that is sinful, that is wrong, that is against you, would you uh, help us to confess it? Would you help us to repent from it? And help us to do so quickly so that we see truly in your word in this time who you are. If we are looking at you through a lens, God, would you focus it a little more now? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when God repeats himself in his word, it's not to be overlooked. We see the heart of a person in what they talk about often. Uh, for instance, I know that Leah loves macaroni. Um, she talks about it quite often, as it is with God. And one thing coupled with this uh, is that it's, that's helpful to know is that the biblical Greek language is a language of economy. Uh, this means they don't add a bunch of fluff. They don't add anything that is not necessary. They give you what you need and literally nothing more. They don't even add spaces or punctuation marks. Uh, and so if you see something repeated, it is a literary device. It is an over-the-top purpose to show you, like, this, there's a lot of emphasis lying on this. It's as if to say, don't miss this. Much of today's passage is nothing that we have not heard before, especially in John's writing, uh, even a chapter ago. But it is not by mistake that we find ourselves here because we see the heart of God in what he repeats often. One way to help a person with memory loss is careful repetition. And I would submit to you that we are of supreme memory loss when it comes to the content of the gospel. 
And so our caring and gracious and loving Father gently explains to us again. He starts out in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. A couple of things to point out. Why would God give us this command in the first place? Because it is our heart's disposition in sin not to. None of us naturally love, naturally love anyone the way God is calling us to love. The only love that comes naturally is selfish love, which isn't love. The love that God calls us to is selfless. It is giving of oneself for the sake of another. It is counterintuitive to hearts that don't naturally do these things. We aren't commanded to breathe. That's just what we do. And we aren't commanded to sin. That's just what we do. We are commanded to love because that's just what we do not do. God knows that he's calling us to do something that only God has the power to do. The reason why what the world and most of the church is offering right now is so shallow is because it is very shallow. I can do everything on the list to be uh, enough. I can figure it on, out on my own and still not love. I can do everything on your list to make sure that I'm being uh, reconciling with my brother and I can still not love. No. We need supernatural. We need heart-changing, motivation-altering, lifestyle-shaking, newness of heart that comes from the gospel. We will get into this in a little bit, but we have to come to grips with the fact that we are commanded to love because we don't do it naturally. For now, let's continue with the text. The very next word is for. Uh, so let us love one another. Why? And then John gives us three reasons. First... For uh, why we are doing this, for love is from God. Love comes from God. This is huge for our love for others. This means that we shouldn't search them in order to find reasons to love them. No one will be good enough in our sinful hearts and minds. We will find reasons to judge and pick apart in the ways that we do find that we are like, okay, I could love that. It's selfish. No, love is from God. God is the fount of love, and so the degree to which we throw ourselves under that fount is the degree to which we will love others. We cannot give what we do not have, and we only have love, true love, if it is from God. This is another way of saying we love because he loved us first. That's the only way. Love is from God. To who? Miraculously. He only gives it to those who need it most. Romans 5, verse 6 through 8 says this, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, enemies, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners rebelling against the king, wayward sons and daughters, we were brought near by the blood of Christ. At our lowest and most sinful point, Christ poured out his love for us at the cross. And listen, not when we figured it out. Not when we had it all together. Not when we got all of our acts together. We were still sinners. The high and holy Christ does not cringe to reach out to, to such sinners. It is precisely what he loves to do. This love from God goes to those who need it most. 
And this love doesn't falter for those who are already in Christ and find themselves sinning. This does constantly get taught and believed, but it's not true. It is not as though the cross was effective for our salvation, and now we have to figure the rest out on our own. Christ gives grace and love to those who come to him. Love is from God whether we are unsaved, newly saved, or have been saved for years and years. Amen. (laughs) The fount is still the same. Thomas Goodwin wrote in the 1600s, the glory of Christ is enlarged and increased as his members come to have the purchase of his death more and more laid forth upon them. Christ is the fount of love where his children come to drink and be refreshed every moment. Love is from God. Jesus desires for us to draw strength from his love, but the only ones qualified to do so are sinners in need of that undeserved love. And it is undeserved. Love cannot be earned or it fails to be love. Love is from God as a gift, not a reward. Not because we are lovable or have done anything to clean ourselves up, but because it is the nature of this love of God to overflow. And so we go to him for love because that's where it is. It is nowhere else. And we know that he doesn't get flustered or frustrated when we have to come back to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, and uh, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. Love is from God. And this changes how we love others. They don't have to deserve it in order for me to give it to them. That's not love. By this love from God, we are made into a new creation, which is the next part of the verse. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Only those who have been loved can love. Only those who have been loved by God can love others. The only way we know God is for us who are dead in trespasses and sins to be made alive to God by and through his Son. And so if you do not know this Christ, uh, there will be a hole inside of you that you cannot fill on your own. 1 John three sixteen says this, By this we know love. We see it, we behold it, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us. We couldn't know God without this act of love. And so, since that is true, it carries on into the next part of the verse. And so, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Love is from God, and those who love have been born of God, and they know God. Let us love one another. This is the way we are to live as believers, as fallen creatures continually pressing into our greatest purpose. Every other kind of lifestyle lived is flopping on the dry ground, while loving others is stepping into the flowing waters of the love of Christ. This is the life we were meant to live. And so, John keeps going in verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If there are folks who do not continually lay down their lives in a lifelong, repentant, cross-bearing, not seeking the good of its own, but the good of another kind of love, then they clearly do not know God. This kind of love only comes from one fount, 
Love is from God. If they knew him, it would show because this kind of love cannot but explode into action, which is why John rolls into, the ver- into verse 9 with this. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Love manifests itself. It cannot just sit in a heart. It has to explode into action, into words. But before we get into that, we have to stop and ask why. Why is John now turning from the command? There's the command, and then he gives you three reasons as to why. But why is he now turning from the command to love to show us God's love for us? Because anyone reading this can see, all right, I see the command, the law to love one another. I I was given a why. In fact, I was given three whys. And I was given a warning and evidence of what it means to not love God, but what if I'm not doing it? What if I see the command, but I fail to uphold it? What if I love well sometimes, but man, other times I blow it? What if I loved well this morning, but by the afternoon I failed? In a sense, what can this law do for those who are already guilty? We know the law. We see it, but it does nothing for guilt and shame. And unless it does, I am truly powerless in my fight to love those who are unlovely like me. My hard heart, it can take loving someone who is easy to love. But what about laying down my life constantly? I need a new heart. I need a a savior. I need pardon. John Bunyan, uh, he was a Puritan man, also wrote in the 1600s, if Thomas Goodwin was the scholar, John Bunyan was the everyday man. Uh, He wrote this. Run, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. It says the law commands, uh, but it doesn't help me to obey the, the command that it calls me to. Far better news that the gospel brings. It bids us fly and then it gives us wings. Are we called to love? Yes then we must see the gospel where love flows freely for the weak like us to give us strength. We need not only exhortation. We we don't need, hey, man, we've got to love. We've got to love. We've got to love. Yes, absolutely. But we also need liberation to love. We need to be freed to love. This is why John jumps right in into the next part of verse 9. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest to us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The world was darkened by sin and death, and this was the sinner's lot until Christ came to give sinners light and life through his atoning life and death. The law commands, but it gives me no power to obey. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That we might live and love and work and and care through not our own power because we have none, but through his. We step under that fount. This is the point of verse 10. To cast our eyes away from our weakness and onto his strength that's given to us. He says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Love is not, man, look at how well I love God. But look at his love for me. 
I don't love him. I fail to obey him. I fail in my sin daily. I daily enjoy the very acts that led my Savior to the cross. And he still loves me. And he still delights to show me mercy. This is love. That he loved us. And the next part of this verse is one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember, this kind of love cannot but explode into action, and it did with this action. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a really big word. What does it mean? It means Jesus turns away the just and righteous wrath of the Father toward our sins. But how? By turning the just and righteous wrath of the Father onto himself. As the Father looked through eternity past, present, and future, he was grieved and angry to see the sin and rebellion of his people over and over and over and over again. And God, being perfectly just, that means that sins cannot go unpunished. And so God the Son turns the wrath of the Father on to himself, and the wrath was completely satisfied. It was placed onto a perfect sacrifice, and those who place their trust in this perfect sacrifice are utterly safe in his work, in his life and death. There's no wrath left for those who are in Christ, not even on your worst day, not even on the day that you're mucked and mired into your deepest sin. As Christ lives, his atoning work remains effective because of this turning away. The gospel continues to be the gospel. Good news of the gospel continues to be good news. Who doesn't need to be refreshed on the fact that the wrath we deserve went on to our Savior and that there's none left for me? And I want to live for that king. This is the love that we behold at the cross in the gospel, and this is the love that fills within us and explodes into action. The gospel changes hearts, and as a result of a changed heart toward God, we will do works in light of this love. And these works will be works aimed at our neighbor. Trust the gospel of Jesus Christ to love one another. This is the idea here. We will obey the command to love, not by seeing the command to love alone but by beholding the love that God has for us in his son. And as we behold it truly, it is life-changing. It is heart-transforming. It is mind-altering by degree. And this is the grace beneath our wings. This is the spirit in our sails that empowers our obedience. This is the king commissioning us to love and then giving us the love to give. We draw too little strength from our Savior. The, the gospel cannot be over-celebrated. It cannot be talked about too much. It cannot be exaggerated. It cannot be made too much of. There's no climbing to the top of its height and, and there's no plumbing to its depths. So my brothers and sisters, go. Climb and dive. You cannot reach its end. Let this good news fuel and empower you to love others 
over and over and over and over again. Even in heaven, when we will have our perfected bodies, we will be singing God's praise for this salvation, for this gospel. It will not end to be, to be glorious. Love from God is literally endless. So go to the fount over and over again. That when people are loved by you, they see the explosive and endless nature of the love of Christ. This is why we sang what we sang. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart. And then, and only then, as I behold you, lead me in your love to those around me. God gives us the command to love and then gives us the love to give. And so the question becomes, will you, by the power the gospel provides, seek to love your brother and sister? Those hard to love. Those who differ with you on how to reconcile racially. Those who differ with you on politics. Those who look different than you. Those who act different, sin different than you. Maybe it is the most loving thing you can do for your brother. Maybe it is to read about their history or to ask them about it. But in Christ, you have far more available to you in the commonality of love that we see at the cross. Will you, by the power of the gospel that it provides, love one another? Those who sin directly against you, those who spit in your face, those who mock and shame you, those who lead you to your own cross. We will only do so in the power of the gospel, but the good news of the gospel says that we can do so. It is by the power that Christ provides. And this is good news because I don't have to muster up anything. I don't have to muster up enough courage or strength. It is given to me as I see my courageous Savior. And so John finishes the text in the same way he started it. Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. The God of the universe looked on us and saw nothing except that which built up his wrath. But in his great love and mercy that he has for us, Christ had the wrath poured onto himself that we might be loved by the Father, that we might love those around us. This is the gospel. No matter what sin, no matter what life, life circumstance, no matter what comes, our response to it is all the same. We behold the good news of the gospel and we walk in its freedom and identity and love as we walk out God's people here on earth. The gospel will not be everything for you until it is all you have. But once it is all you have, it is everything you need. If you've never trusted in Christ for the propitiation of your sins, uh, I'd like to plead with you today. There is no life for you in the life to come unless you forsake your life here and now. The only way into Christianity is to admit that you are weak and in need of a Savior. And so would you believe today? And for those of us in Christ, let us trust in Christ again. 
Let us go safely to our gentle Savior again for the sake of our lives. The fount of love is flowing. It is flowing because it is the nature of his love. Let us step back into it. And I'd like to end us with a passage to reflect on. Uh, In lieu of the Lord's Supper, just for now, until we can figure out a safer way to do it, uh, we will spend time thinking and considering this Christ. Uh, And so, uh, let's just sit together these last few minutes, uh, and then I'll come back up and we'll pray together, and then we'll have our last time of worship. Uh, But as you sit here, uh, this is Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10. And please hear this as God speaking to you. This is the God of the universe speaking to small you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Take this time to pray and think. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we don't have to search through whatever the world is offering 
that we don't even have to search through whatever uh, even the leaders in the church are offering, but that we have scripture to fall back on, to, to remember and to know and to see you truly for what you have given us. And so we pray, God, that you would empower our faith. We know, we just read that it is a gift by your grace. And so we pray that you would continue your grace to us now. Not because we deserve it, but because you love to give it. Would you change us by degree, by your word? And now, Father, as we uh, cry out to you in praise, would you lift up our hearts to you? Would you help us to pray? Would you help us to sing? Because you deserve every second of it. You deserve every breath that we have. You are our great Father. Would you help us and guide us? Help us to sing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.